0: This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Frank Coulter. Good morning again. Well, we are going to talk about church at church. Is that a good idea? For about four weeks, we're going to just start launch launch a brand new series today called Church Experience, and then we're actually going to re- receive communion um, at the end of the message this morning. Now, how many of you uh, do you have any church kids in the house? Grew up in church? A Few of you. Now, if all of us could describe um, our churches, we would describe different things at our church. We would describe maybe some architecture, some of the kids' classrooms that we had to go in, um, maybe. Uh, you know some of the songs that we sang you know what the what the preacher would do now my my dad was always my pastor growing up and back in the day when for a while we were uh he was pastoring in the united church and he used to wear a gown preaching with like blue felt on the top and like the flowing arms and stuff like that and on easter he would wear a white gown it's pretty special Big deal. And then, um, and then we would go to some Pentecostal churches sometimes cause my parents grew up Pentecostal. And so we would go and, and there was no preachers wearing gowns at the Pentecostal church. And the church that we grew up in, we had stained glass windows. Anybody have stained glass windows? We've got stained glass lights on our stage. And then at, at our church growing up, we had an organ. The only, the only instrument that was allowed to be played in church growing up was the organ. But you know what? It's kind of fudging because organ is actually supposed to be all the instruments in one. So it's kind of cheating, but it's just one instrument. And then when we go to the Pentecostal church, they would have like a full band on the stage. Can you believe this? And we would sing hymns and they would sing choruses. (laughs) And we could all describe uh, different situations and practices and things that we had grown up in with church. And those could be described as our church experiences. But we can't just limit church to those thoughts, to those outwards things, to architectures, to a song style, to a dress code. That if we, if we don't understand what the church is all about, we can actually miss the deeper purposes of the church. And the sad part is within church history, people have fought small wars about all of the things that I have described. Church decorations and church song styles and dress codes. And, and um, we grew up, the church that we grew up in had pews. No cushions, people. Hard wood pews. Whoever thought this was a good idea? But then some churches want to switch to chairs with cushions. And some people almost die in that meeting when they discuss, we're going to replace the pews with chairs. My grandmother sat on this pew And we have all of these different things. But what we want to look at in this series, is we want to look at the deep truths about actually what church is, and that we would move beyond what we would call our preferences. Because we might all have preferences in some of the things that I just described. I have a preference, but we have to move beyond my preferences to the purpose. What is the purpose of church? And then what could happen to us in 2019 at any time we could be consumers of church because we live in a consumer society and then we just think well i'm just going to go and consume a church service i'm going to go and they're going to you know sing certain songs and they're going to preach and i'm going to go to the church that i like both of those things which you know if you like the things that we do praise god thank god for that but we just don't want to think of ourselves as consumers of church services that being a follower of Jesus goes way deeper and is way more profound than just what happens in a singular church service. Because I, I say this too, if, if you come to church some Sunday and, and our team sings all of your favorite songs and they play every single note perfectly and nobody on our, our, our singing uh, worship team like misses a note and then I get up and I preach your favorite topic, Bible topic, and I use all of your favorite Bible verses, and you walk away from that service and you're like, that was the best church service I've ever been to in my life. It's all downhill from there. And so there has to be something more than just the consumption of church services. We can't just be consumers, that we actually have to see ourselves as contributors contributors to the family of God. And this is what we're talking about in this series. As we experience church, as we are a part of the family of God, that we we're, our expectation is God is actually going to be doing something in us as we worship and lift up the name of Jesus, as we sing to God in the style that we sing. And, and the style that we sing, the... the the songs that we choose, they're not necessarily better than hymns or old hymns or a, another style that some other church might use to, to, to lead in worship. But, but the key is lifting up the name of Jesus. The key is lifting up God, honoring God, and we can have tremendous experiences as we worship God, honor Jesus in our lives. And then we're going to come and we're going to always here at the City Church, we're always going to preach from the scripture. We honor the word of God and so we can learn and grow and God can do things on the inside of us. But our involvement in church should not just stop there, singing certain songs and getting something for myself, that being a part of the family of God then is also doing something, that I am going to, um, God's going to do something in me, but then I can also help somebody else. You know, our mission statement here, a very simple mission statement, is to move people closer to Jesus. And it's a short firm, form way of the great commission that we see in Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus said to go into all the world and preach the gospel. That moving people closer to Jesus is what we do every Sunday and kids and youth and in here. Our goal is what? Maybe somebody who's far from God can move closer to Jesus and experience salvation. And maybe somebody like you or me who's been in church uh, maybe a long time, that all of us on any given Sunday as we apply ourselves and we worship and we listen, we can move closer to Jesus every and all of the time. And this is what God wants for us as we are involved in this thing called the church. Matthew chapter 4 verse 18, Jesus has uh, as he's talking and calling out to some of his disciples, we could see this principle. Matthew chapter four, verse eighteen says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. He said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So we see this twofold call that Jesus says to Peter and his brother is like what Follow me, in other words, salvation, that I'm going to experience salvation and I'm going to have this relationship with Jesus. But then he doesn't stop there. He says, And I will make you fishers of men. That everybody that Jesus calls into salvation, he also calls into his mission. So, yes, we're going to follow Jesus, experience salvation. And then from that salvation, from that knowledge, from that relationship, I am going to make you a fisher of men. I'm going to make you influential. In the kingdom of God, as it relates to someone else's relationship with God. Because that's our purpose. In the kingdom of God, we're supposed to be Jesus' disciples, learners and growers. But once again, it's not stopping there. It's not just that I'm a learner and a grower, that I'm actually contributing to someone else learning and growing. I'm I'm contributing to someone else finding Jesus or knowing God for the very first time. So he invites us into salvation, and then he also invites us into mission. Matthew chapter 16, here Jesus talks about the church, very famous portion of scripture. Verse 13, it says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you, who who do people say the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? I know other people say things about me or maybe have an understanding of, of who I am. But who do you say I am? Jesus asked the question. And this is important for all of us, once again, in our journey of faith. Who is Jesus? Jesus is not just wanting us to have an opinion about what somebody says about who he is. But who do you say that I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That Jesus is building his church. And then what, what is Jesus building the church on? This understanding of who he is, that you are the son of the living God. You are the Christ. This revelation, this understanding about who Jesus is, Jesus is the cornerstone of the church. It is what all of our life um, in the context of church is built on. It's built on the person of Jesus. See, the Christian faith is not just a bunch of ideas. We're, we're not just having faith in ideas. What's unique and different about the faith that we're partaking in is that our faith is in a person, the person of Jesus Christ, God coming in the flesh. We put our faith in him, not just ideas, not just in principles, not just things to do in our lives, but our faith in him causes us to do all of those things. Not just a set of ideas, not just a set of ideas that if we follow those, these things, that these things might work out well for us in eternity. No, our faith is in him, that our faith is in Jesus. And really, that's what our church is all about. Our church is all about Jesus. You know, we have... We have a delineated, you know, uh, statement of faith, and it would, it would, for the majority of the churches out there, our statement of faith would be very specific. And a lot of times, you know, people ask us a lot of questions about our theology and, and you know, what's your background of these other things. And you know, the simplest answer about what our church is all about: our church is all about Jesus. And it's not a very technical answer, but it is the truth. And it is what we want to be about. Because and, and, we know and believe those of us that have a relationship with Jesus, we know that from that point of salvation on, that Jesus has made a difference in our lives. And we know that Jesus can make a difference in someone else's life. So we don't want to, even though we, we can, and, and I can discuss theology to bore you, actually. you know, My dad and I have these long theological discussions. And you know, it would be boring for you to sit and listen to it. Uh, and it's not that we don't have theological positions, but to boil it down to this idea that, that our church is about Jesus is the most important thing. That we would experience a relationship with Jesus in the context of church. And I'm going to give you a few definitions of church so that we can see what it is. Because as I was talking about church earlier, you know, the experiences we might have at church or the memories that we might have at church and, and sometimes we have, maybe you could identify with this, you know, if, if you've had an experience with God when you were young, there was a certain song being sung and you were in a certain room that had a certain set of decorations and, and all of these different exterior things and sometimes that experience that we have with God in that moment can get bonded to all of those things. And we think all of those surrounding things are the most important things, but all of those things are not the most important things. It is that, that connection, that experience with God in the context of the church. And as we're describing church, I described all these exterior things because a lot of times when we say church, we're talking about a building. But the building is not the church. You are the church. People are the church. He's building the church, and when Jesus said that, he's not talking about buildings, he's talking about people. And here we are, the city church, we're a local expression of church, here in Mississauga. And and there's literally billions of people in the world, gathering on Sunday. And the reason we gather on Sunday, because that's the day of the resurrection, And we have brothers and sisters around the world in local churches all over the world gathering, lifting up the name of Jesus. The church is people. And God is building the church through building people, building up individuals and their relationship with God, and then building the church numerically. And we get to be a part of that. We get to help other people. As we are being discipled, we get to help other people being discipled. So I'm going to give you... A couple definitions of the word church. One of the definitions of church, it just means house of God. And once again, what makes this a house of God is not that we call the building of the church. is that you're here. And you actually house the spirit of God. There's nothing special about the drywall in this building. Or, or the steel girders. These aren't holy steel girders. They are just girders. But what makes this the house of God is when you are here. So we, as the church, as individuals, and then as the family of God, we are the house of God. The church is a house of prayer. Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer. So not just the physical building, you are the building of God, the scripture tells us. That it's no longer the spirit of God is, is stuck inside a building somewhere, that the spirit of God actually dwells in you. So we, as individuals and in a church family, we are the house of prayer. We are the called out ones. Uh, The Greek word for church is ekklesia or ecclesia, however you would like to say that. We're we're the called out ones. We are the gathering together of a people for a purpose. We are the people of God and, and church is all about getting together. God never calls any individual Christ follower to be a lone ranger. God calls everybody into the family of God because the things that he wants us to do in the context of the church in which he's building, can only happen in community. It can only happen doing it with other people. We can't do it alone. God doesn't call us to do it alone. So he call, is calling us and he's gathering us together. And like I mentioned old, earlier, the whole body scattered around the world, that the church is the Jesus people. The people who claim the name of Jesus, the, the one, those of us who say, yes, I follow Jesus, like Jesus said, hey, follow me, and I'm going to make you a fisher of men, that is what the church is, and the church is built on the person of Christ. John chapter 5, verse 34, Jesus is speaking here, um, he's going to talk to some Pharisees, and, and, and the father who sent me, verse 37, has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you, have, and you do not have his word abiding in you. Now this is an insult to the Pharisees because they have the word of God memorized and Jesus says you don't even have the word in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You've searched the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So Jesus is telling us that the totality of the scripture, Old and New Testament, points to the person of Jesus. Jesus said, in the scripture, you know, you think you've discovered eternal life, but the scripture is pointing to me. Our faith is in him. Our trust is in him for now and for eternity. And so, why do we read the Bible? Just so we can memorize the Bible and know more Bible verses than somebody else or somebody else in some other church? No. We're reading the Scriptures so we can see Jesus. That the Scriptures point us to Jesus. This relationship that I put my trust in Him. So our church experience, the experience, the first experience that I want to talk about this morning, before we have communion, is just our experience with Jesus. Because we can only help somebody else move closer to Jesus if we as individuals and as a church family, we remember who Jesus is. Because it's very easy in the busyness of church, the activity of church, the serving of church, the organizing that we do and all of the stuff that we do here at the City Church. In all of that, it's just easy to forget, oh yeah, this whole thing is because of Jesus. So I'm going to remind you this morning about who Jesus is. So this is actually a good day to take notes if you're taking notes, but the scripture tells us a lot about Jesus. The first thing we're going to look at as it relates to Jesus today is that he is our Lord and Savior. Second Peter chapter one, verse 11 says this, for in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And these two words are important, these two um, understandings who Jesus is are very important, Lord and Savior. Now what does it mean to have a Lord? Because we don't necessarily use that word a lot in common parlance just when we're reading the scripture. It means someone that I am submitted to, someone that is in authority over me. That the life that I live in Christ is a life submitted to Jesus. He is my Lord and the great thing about this is that he is the giver of life. I don't have to go through life making decisions on my own. I'm going to trust my Lord. I'm going to submit to my Lord. I'm going to yield to my Lord. And the great thing about yielding to Jesus is that he came because he loves you. And he cares about you. And he's interested in your life. So we yield and submit our life to him. And the second thing is, as we've kind of already mentioned, that he is our savior, that he saves us from sin. He saves us from eternity without him. And that also he saves us from ourselves. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You ever living life that you do something really stupid and you're, you know, in that mode, we just need to be reminded, you know what? I need a savior. I need need someone to help me in this life. I need somebody to save me. And that's who Jesus is, he is our Lord and Savior. Jesus is constantly doing a work in you. He didn't just save you to leave you here. He didn't just save you so that one day, you know, you'll be with him in eternity. He actually is, on a constant basis, doing something on the inside of you. Philippians chapter 1, verse 5, it says, Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, I am sure of this, that he, talking about Jesus... Who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He began a good work in you the day that you said yes to him. And what is he going to do? He's going to complete it. Now, I don't mean this um, in the plastic surgery sense of the word, but do you need any work done? We need, some, we need to get some work done, right? And what is he doing? He's not changing the bone structure of our face. Um, Go for it, whatever. Uh, Mold it as you will. Um, But he's talking it. He's talking about doing something on the inside of us. That he is working something out. That he didn't just save us one day to leave us alone, and I'll see you in heaven know that he is there constantly and he, he is working out and he is work, he's doing a good work in us every day, all of the time. This is who Jesus is. Our hope is in Jesus. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1 says this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. Now the word hope defined in the New Testament means joyful hope expectation that I have a joyful expectation about my future my future in life my future in eternity why? because of Jesus my faith is in Jesus and my hope is in him my hope my joyful expectation is not in my circumstances because sometimes the circumstances that we're looking at are not joyful would you agree? that we could be in the middle of a day or a week or a month where no experience that we have on the outside is joyful, but I can still get up every day and put a smile on my face because my hope, my joyful expectation is in Jesus, not my circumstances. My my joyful expectation is in Jesus and not what other people think about me. Because people are going to think everything about you. Sometimes and some of it isn't going to be good. But my hope is not what's in other people's heads about me. That I can wake up every day. And because my faith is in Jesus, I have hope. I have a joyful expectation. Jesus is our high priest. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 says, since then, since we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. In other words, the words we say should be affected because we have a relationship with Jesus. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And what that means is Jesus understands. He gets it, what it means to have flesh. He lived here on the earth for about 33 years and he went through all of the same temptations, but without sin. Therefore, he is the one that can help us. He is our high priest. He is the one who is going to God on our behalf. And then it says this, let us then, because that is true, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you ever need mercy? In other words, you did something stupid and you know, sometimes there's repercussions based on the stupid thing that you did. And mercy means that you don't get what you do deserve. Grace, on the other hand, means you get what you don't deserve, simple definitions. But we need mercy. We need mercy from God. And so what is it? That we, we can go, we can go to the throne of grace and we can obtain mercy. And then we can find grace to help in time of need because we have a high priest. He's faced all the same things that we have. Lived in the same world that we live in. And we can go to him For help. That Jesus helps us. And this is the thing that we need to allow to happen in our lives. This needs to be a big part of our church experience. I need the help of Jesus. Because what are we pointing someone else to? How are we going to help somebody else? By pretending that we're super Christian. No, they don't need you. They need Jesus. We're pointing people to Jesus. He is where their help is going to come from. And he invites us because he's our high priest. He says, hey, come to the throne of grace. And he's not too busy with the famous pastors. He's not too uh, busy with the Pope or whoever you think is more important than you. That he is available all the time. That the throne of grace is always open for you. So we can come to find help in time of need. Jesus is our advocate. He is our mediator. It's another uh, word for describing lawyers. If you're a lawyer in here today, awesome. But you're not as good as Jesus, sorry to say. <laughs> Jesus is our lawyer before God. First John chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. That he is our advocate. He is the one who's arguing on our behalf, the righteous one. He is atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. See, he is our go between, between us and God. We don't need anybody else in there. There's no other person that qualifies, there's nobody else who's good enough. And so what is Jesus? When when we sin and we mess up, what is our claim? Our claim is not our own righteousness. It is Jesus. And that's what he argues on our behalf before God the Father. I give my righteousness to them. He has provided that for us on the cross. He is our advocate. He is our mediator. Peace. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. But now... In Christ you who are once afar off have now been brought near by the blood of Jesus. For he himself is our peace. Not ideas, not philosophy. Jesus is our peace. He, the Son of God, the Prince of Peace, is our peace. Who has has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Do you have any hostility in any of your relationships? Some of our relationships can get difficult sometimes, right? Marriage can get difficult and parenting things and friendships. These can... It feels like a hostile situation sometimes. But what is is our faith in? Our faith is in the one who gives us peace. That we're going to experience his peace on the inside and then we can be, be peacemakers on the outside in our relationships. But... The first thing is, our faith is the one who gives us peace. Verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. How does the hostility get killed? Through peace. And who do we know? Who is our Lord and Savior? The Prince of Peace. So we don't have to live through life with just broken relationships all the time. He wants to bring peace to those situations. And that's who Jesus is to us. That he is our strength. Philippians chapter 4 verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So the Apostle Paul is writing to the Philippian church and at one time they had supported his work, that he was going out there and he was planning churches, But then they stopped supporting him, but then they started supporting him again, and that is what he is referring to. Verse 11, not that I'm speaking and of being of need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Him who? Jesus. He is the one that strengthens me when I'm on the mountaintop or when I'm in the valley. That's what Paul is saying. You know, sometimes I've, I've had a lot and sometimes I haven't. But in every situation... Every situation, he is the one who strengthens me and I can do it because he gives me strength. That's the way we need to think about life. That's the way we need to go through life as a Christ follower, as part of the church. And then when we're involved in church and we're involved with people and relationships and somebody needs strength, your strength will only go so far, but God's strength is inexhaustible. Hey, let me get you to Jesus. He is the one who is our strength. Jesus is the door. What does that mean? Let's find out. John chapter 10 verse 7. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door (coughs) of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and in and out and find pasture. Now, shepherds in this time, they would have um, an area in which they would, you know, house their sheep. But sometimes they would have to go away from home to find grass to be able to feed the herd. I'm not sure if it's called a herd, the bunch of sheep, whatever they are. I'm not a farmer, I apologize. And so they would go out into the field. And in different places in this time, people would have set up temporary uh, fencing areas with rocks. So that people could put their sheep in for the night. And what the shepherd would do, because there was no gate and was just rocks, the shepherd the shepherd would lay over the gate to protect the sheep. And that's what the scripture is telling us. Jesus is the door. And so what are we doing? We're going in and out. And what is he doing? He's, he's taking us and he's leading us and guiding us and he's feeding us and he's protecting us. He's laying himself down. Down at the gate to protect us. A shepherd. They were providers. They were guides. They were protectors and constant companions of the sheep. Jesus is our constant companion. So when we talk and we think about church, it, go, it goes deeper. And it's more profound than, than the traditions we prefer. And, and it's more important that things that we have affinity for in a church service and what it should look like and how it should sound. That Jesus is the one who we put our faith in. And he is our constant compassion. Jesus is our healer. Matthew chapter 8 verse 14. It says that when Jesus entered Peter's house... He saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. Now, one pastor said, if God will heal a mother-in-law, he'll heal anybody. I didn't say that. Another pastor said that. I'm just, I would never say that. But here he went to Peter's house and she was sick. And then what did Jesus do? He healed her. See, Jesus is famous for healing everywhere we read through the Gospels. That Jesus was going places and that he would see somebody or somebody would call out. And what would Jesus do? Invariably, we see Jesus healing people over and over again. Verse 16, that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons and he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick. This, talking about what we just read... Was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah He took our illnesses And he bore our diseases So what did the prophet Isaiah say? Verse 4 of chapter 53 Prophesying about Jesus to come Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted But, but he was pierced for our transgressions See, the reason we put our faith in Jesus is because he is the one who paid the ultimate price for us. We don't put our faith in people at church. Everybody at church should have their faith in Jesus because he is the one that died for our transgressions. He was crushed of our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. See, when we think about Jesus going to the cross, one of the things, the physical things that he suffered through, was they placed a crown of thorns on his head. Do you remember that? And that's actually a great descriptor for what dealing with difficult thoughts is like. You ever feel that? Sometimes, like, thoughts are like bombarding your mind what about this? And what are you going to do? And this, this, and they don't like you. And this thing happened. And what are you going to do about your finances? And what are you going to do about your health? And what are you going to do about your relationships? And these things just coming, keep coming at you. But Jesus took all of that on the cross so we could have peace. And we, as the church, need to remind ourselves that we have peace in Jesus. Peace from tormenting thoughts. The chastisement of that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. That's what we need to think about today. That Jesus is our healer. It's time for communion. The elements are there underneath the seat in front of you. If you're on the first row, it is by the leg of your chair. If you are visiting with us and you are a Christ follower, we invite you to take communion with us, but you certainly don't have to feel pressured to. Just the instructions about the elements, there's two things there. The top piece is just the cellophane that you can open up and pull out the wafer and just hold it there. You don't have to open up the bottom just yet. I know it's hard to get these open sometimes, so we'll give you a few seconds. But the reason we do this as the church, the reason that we hold this physical wafer, that this physical wafer, reminds us of something that is spiritually true. It reminds us of that story read in Matthew 8. It reminds us of the prophecy in Isaiah 53, that Jesus took stripes. In other words, when he was whipped, it looked like stripes on his back. Why? Because there was blood coming out, and there was flesh exposed. In other words, his body was broken so we could have healing. But what do we need to do as we experience these things in church? We need to remind ourselves that Jesus' power is greater than the sickness and disease we face. And, and, and the sickness and disease that we face has a name, but Jesus' name is above that name. And so the reason we hold this wafer is to remind us that something has been done for us, that Jesus shed his blood The scripture tells us that he took the bread and he broke it and he said to them, do this in remembrance of me, that we remind ourselves that the one that we have faith in for now and for eternity, he is our healer. Let's just pray this morning. God, we thank you for Jesus today and we remind remind ourselves that you are our healer. God, we thank you, Lord, from the top of our head to the soles of our feet that your power is greater than any disease or sickness that we are facing. That your power is greater than any pain that we feel. God, we put our trust in you today. We thank you, Lord, that you made our bodies so you know how to fix them. We just thank you, Lord, for your healing power in our lives. God, we thank you, Lord, that... We know that you can heal the brokenhearted. So we just pray, Lord, for anyone in here today who feels brokenhearted in their emotions, that their emotions today are damaged. God, we know that you are the only one that could heal human hearts. So we just open up ourselves to you today, Lord, that you heal us in every way, that you heal us and make us whole. We thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's eat together. Let's open up the bottom portion with the cup. Jesus, at the Last Supper, he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. The scripture teaches us in the Old Testament where there's no shedding of blood, where there's no shedding of blood. There's no remission of sins. But what does shed blood do? It takes away our sin, takes away our past. As we hold this juice, it reminds us that because of the blood of Jesus, we experience righteousness with God, not our own righteousness. Our own righteousness falls so short. But because of the blood of Jesus, because He shed His blood, washed away our sins that we can actually be in a relationship with God today that he gives us righteousness that our past sins our past mistakes are not defining our future that forever and for eternity our sins are washed away let's just pray this morning God we thank you for the blood of Jesus that he shed his blood so that we could be righteous in your eyes we thank you, Lord, today for forgiveness of sins, forgiveness for our mistakes, forgiveness of our for our past, and all of the areas that we come short, Lord. We know that you make up the difference because Jesus shed his blood. We are so thankful for that today, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's drink together. Thanks for listening. If you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you, please email info at thecitychurch.ca.